The Basic Instructions of Mind Mastery with Chuki Okobi, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant people on the planet. Hear their stories and get the most important business lessons they have learned on their road to success and get exclusive advice on how to implement their success into your life and business. The Basic Instructions of Mind Mastery with Chuki Okobi is brought to you by the Strategic Advisor Board and your host, Chuki Okobi. Aloha, everyone. And I got to tell you right now, I'm feeling a, a little bit starstruck. I mean, there's a saying that you should never meet your heroes, but meeting this guy, for me, <laughs> is proving that theory just totally wrong because meeting him, him has been a blessing and an honor. You know, me being a kid from Pittsburgh originally, today's guest is someone I've looked up to for a long time and is a role model for me now in life after football, after the NFL. So I'm excited for this conversation. Today's guest is an eight-year NFL alumni and running back for my Pittsburgh Steelers, an NFL analyst for ESPN for over 20 years, and now an international speaker, author, and again, one of my favorite players growing up in Pittsburgh. I want to give a huge mahalo and aloha welcome to one of my heroes. It's an honor and pleasure to welcome Merrill Hodge to the Life After Football podcast. Merrill, thank you for your time today and welcome. Well, Chucky, I sure appreciate it. That's a genuine uh, um, introduction and flattered by that, my friend. So thanks for having me, buddy. Yeah, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's really feels good. And, you know, being from Pittsburgh and, you know, both of us having played for the Steelers and, you know, the Steelers is a, it's a unique organization. You know, we've only had three head coaches since 1960. I mean, you played for two of them. I played for two of them. So, you know, it's a, it's a really unique experience. And, uh, you know, I just re feels really good to connect this way, you know, really emphasizing that familial feel of this organization and what it means to be a Steeler, you know? Well, I agree with you. There's a, uh, you know, we're not, uh, it, it's a unique organization from the very day I got there, you know, ownership, you know, you can just tell by ownership. They, uh, my first meeting ever as a rookie was with the chief. So uh, I was, the chief was still alive when I was there. And for people who don't know that the chief was, is really like the founding father. Um, you know, he's the guy with the cigar and, you know, the face when you think yeah. of the Roonies, you know, then there's Mr. Rooney and, and now art, um, which would be his grandson. Um, mm -hmm. You know, he, he met with our team, our rookies, our first year and our first, very first meeting, he talked about us being a woven fabric of the community of Pittsburgh. He goes, mm -hmm. we're going to get back to the, the city because they get back to us. And he mm -hmm. said nothing about football. Like I, when he walked out, I was like, <laughs> was that? I'm not expecting that. I was like, but I've never forgot it. I didn't, mm -hmm. I wouldn't expect it, but I was never forgot it. And, uh, that's where I probably got my first example of modeling, you know, I think in leadership, you know, you can get up and pontificate to people. Um, you can give the greatest speech in the history of mankind. And then if people see you do the opposite of what you just said, people are going to do what they see versus what they hear a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. And to watch the, to hear the chief say that, I mean, that got our attention, but then when you watched him operate, that's how we operated. He gave back. He was an active part of the community. And and then it made sense, you know, and that's that's what makes that organization truly unique. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when you talk about how the chief didn't mention anything about football, it really connects to, you know, what we're talking about today and, you know, what I'm doing with 
lifeafterprosports.com is a lot of times, you know, pro athletes get so caught up in this persona of being an athlete, believing that the game is who they are. But, you know, that's a big thing with the Steelers organization and the, and the Rooney family and all that they've done, not only for the NFL, but for the city of Pittsburgh and, you know, the what the NFL means to all of us all over this country and all over the world now. You know, it's interesting how most people in the world identify as what they do professionally. I mean, think about it. If I fight fires, I'm a firefighter. If I teach people, well, then I'm a teacher, right? Now, you and I have talked about the unique challenges of leaving the NFL after a lifetime is, of identifying as an athlete. Now, you know, you played with and were close friends with someone who, for me, as an offensive lineman for Pittsburgh, I always looked up to, and that's Mike Webster. Correct. And you're, intimate, you're intimately familiar with his challenges, the real story, not just what they say in the movie. Right. And, and, you know, obviously you had your own challenges mentally, emotionally, physically after your time in the NFL, but you overcame a lot of that and achieved success in life after football. So I, I kind of want to just think back to the beginning, like when you first left the league, talk to me about how you felt when you first retired from football. Like what was it like for you mentally and emotionally when you left the NFL? Well, I, I left in an abrupt way. And I think that that was some of my issue initially now you know i i played i played football for 22 years and see i think that's oftentimes forgotten that you know we you know a guy goes we played in the nfl for eight years 10 years but how long were you playing football before that you know and that, mm -hmm. that's important you know i started playing at age eight first time i ever saw it on television that's what i wanted to do that's what i wanted to be and that's all i ever thought about that's all i ever focused on and that's all i ever worked on so <clears throat> at age 30 now, you know, I'm in my eighth year, um, I got – at the time, I had the longest NFL playing streak. I had the longest playing streak in the NFL. Dan Marino had blown his Achilles out the year before, hmm. and I was next in line. So, as a running back and to have 126-some games that you'd played played and started in the National Football League, that, I mean, as you know, Chucky, that, like, that's a big deal. That, <laughs> that's not a – I mean, that's like something that I've always was, was proud of because everybody respected that it's not a bragging thing. It's just like, you know, and I know that every player, they respect that because you don't do, that's not easy to do. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of one of those universal respect things that I, I was always, I was proud of. And I was, for reason for saying that, I was, like I was really in control of my career. Um, I've been, I was starting the National Football League. I just signed a, a new deal with the Chicago Bears. It was one of, when free agency had, was in its second year. I ended mm -hmm. up going to Chicago and I, I signed what would be considered a big deal back then. It's like gas money today, but it's a <laughs> right. big deal. It's a right. big deal. You know, I, I, well, here's a perspective. My rookie year, the highest paid player in the National Football League was Walter Payton at a million dollars in 1987. Okay. I go in 1994 and I signed a three year, $4 million deal for the Chicago Bears. Okay, right. and it's like, you know, like eight years later, you know, uh, time span. So just think of how when I went there, I always thought, That's... okay, if, if I got a three-year, $4 million deal, what would Walter Payton get? That's always – I always <laughs> used to think that. I go, what would Walter right. Payton get right now? So yeah. so putting it in, in a perspective, but – um, and I had never missed a game. I had never missed practice. Um, I was really like – you know, I felt I was in control. I was going to play these three years out that to put me, you know, into 11 years. 
And I, I made a commitment to myself. I would never, never jeopardize my long-term health for a check or a Sunday. I made that commitment to myself a long time ago. And um, what ends up happening to me, you know, people say a concussion ended my career, and that's actually incorrect. It, uh, if that was the case, I would never play it again after the Monday night game. It was actually, and this is the biggest problem with um, head trauma, it's not the actual head trauma, because if head trauma was the biggest issue, then we would shut down homes. Like, we wouldn't let you live in your home because the leading cause of head trauma is tripping and falling. Most dangerous environment your home. So we wouldn't allow you to go into a shower or, or live in your house because that's probably where you're going to have some type of head trauma. And you're probably going to have no care or you're going to um, you're probably going to have not pr proper protocols. Uh, what you end up doing is you run to the emergency room, you know, mm -hmm. where all they're going to do is make sure you're not dead and send you to a specialist to get care. <laughs> right. So th that what that does is it comes down to care. I just I had bad care with the Chicago Bears. You know, I had I didn't have what was going on in Pittsburgh at that time. I was the first group of players to ever do cognitive testing that the Steelers established and brought into this league. Um, the Bears mm -hmm. weren't even doing that. They didn't even have a neurologist on staff. I never saw a neurologist. I, oh. I didn't even – the doctor who saw me at the Monday night game in Kansas City was the family practitioner, and he's the same guy who cleared me to return to play five days later. And keep in mind, when he first – when I first, this first happened, I didn't know where I was or who I was – for some 12 to 14 hours later and the mm -hmm. sign and the most important signs of severity for head trauma are cognitive recall, which I just explained for 12 hours. I couldn't tell you who I was or where I was. Hmm. Yeah, that's bad. I mean, that's about yeah. as bad as you can get instability, the ability to move. And, and my mobility wasn't very good. So mm -hmm. I had about as bad, a, um, uh, about a, the symptoms were about as bad as you could possibly have. Losing consciousness is not a sign of severity. It's just a symptom. Mm -hmm. but I get cleared over the phone to return to play five days later. Now, mm -hmm. the reason I, I share that is because improper care and ends up ending my career. I, I, mm -hmm. I sustain another um, similar blow in a, in the Buffalo game in Chicago. And I actually went into cardiac arrest in the locker room. You know, they, mm -hmm. they actually, they took me to the locker room and because I went into cardiac arrest in the locker room, like the things that we saw last year from the Tua and the Buffalo Cincinnati game, like mm -hmm. that actually happened, but it happened in the locker room where right. there's no cameras. So, you know, nobody got to see that. I was in intensive care for days. Um, when I eventually emerged out of that, uh, what they ended up doing is retiring me. At that time, they're just like, you, you can't risk playing again. I wasn't fighting it. Um, I wasn't cognitively aware enough to fight it. Right. Um, but so my career ends abruptly and, and somewhat tragically, and I am left with nothing in the middle of the season. Huh. Um, and it's, you know, and I go, I get worse and worse as time, as the season goes on, you know, I don't go to practice. Uh, mm -hmm. there's no reason for me to go to practice. They're sending me to counseling. Um, and that's, Counseling's not helping. It's in fact, I, I feel when I leave there, I can't wait to leave there, and I hate to go there, and, and that's yeah. not helping me. Yeah. Um, I'm getting worse. I'm getting worse. Um, and it was really. Um, I'm going to fast forward. This doesn't mean it all ended right there. It actually all began right there. Right. It's probably one of my darkest days. I tell you, the the person I I also refer to her many times. My daughter was about two years old, 
Mm-hmm. And this tells this just puts a perspective on how bad I was. She would sit in her bottle, she'd be drinking her bottle, and she'd be in her little chair that fit her. And we watched Barney together. Those that remember <laughs> Barney. Okay. Right. We watched Barney and I liked it. Okay, that tells you how bad I was. And I, I watched Barney, and I enjoyed Barney. I was sitting there watching Barney, and I'm having a good time watching Barney. So that tells you what state I'm in. Yeah. And 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 she was the one person that would check on me and was there for me. And she didn't, you know, she didn't talk or anything, but she I could read to her. Start unless I, I had to start learn how to read again. So I'd read her book. She was patient with me. I needed yeah. a two year old's patience, as I reflect back on it. But it still doesn't. It's it still doesn't. Um, change me i keep getting worse and worse because i have nothing i have no hope i have no purpose i've just lost something i've done for 22 years in the middle of doing it for 22 years right like i never even i've i've i was challenged well chuck Noll used to challenge everybody to football will not be your life's work right your life's work's going to be something else other than football he'd say that all the time i remember the first time i ever heard that i walked out of the room going well, what was that about? <laughs> I just right. got here. What's he talking about? <laughs> life's work. I'm like, right. hey, it is my life's work. Um, then I played one NFL game. I'm like, ooh, I get what he's talking about. That your life's work can come a lot quicker. You know, if you don't have your stuff buttoned up and doing things right. right. But mm-hmm. to, to fast forward, what ends up spiraling into some of the darkest moments, some of the most emptiness I have ever been, hopeless that I've ever been is laying on a couch um, and I did that I was doing that every day I did nothing for myself I was doing nothing but I was in this toxic blender of pointing fingers casting blame and making excuses and I had everything I had every every right to blame the doctor I had every right um, to um, make excuses for why I was there I mean and the more I did that the darker I got um, and the worse it got. Right. And I was probably at the, uh, the, the darkest moment when uh, these words right here have helped me live a dream and fight to live in a lot. I say a lot of in between. This would be mm-hmm. one of those in, but in between times um, I'm laying on a couch. I'd actually just pulled my shirt up going. I have never mm-hmm. seen myself look so fat and disgusting. <laughs> I mean, I'm just going, I'm getting worse and worse and right. worse as I go. Right. And it just, and, and Chuck, it just hit me. There was like, all I could envision is like there is this little flicker of hope, this little flicker of light that was left in me. And that's when it hit me. It's on me. It's on me to get off the couch and do something about my circumstance. These words have always challenged me to take action, do something about your circumstance. Mm-hmm. And it was that day, it was that moment that I chose to do something about my circumstance. I shut the blender off. I stopped pointing fingers. I stopped casting blame and I stopped making excuses. And I started to dig myself out. Now, the reason I say I started to dig myself out, I didn't have that moment and then everything just worked out and everything was great. And that's, that's not how it is, but it was a start that was re- required by me. Then I, I, I returned a call. I had all kinds of people calling me, people reaching out to me. One of the calls I returned was Lynn Swan had reached out to me. Mm-hmm. He knew that I was working on broadcasting. Um, I'd been doing that as my life's work, um, what I was thinking about doing next. next. However, mm-hmm. I was not ready to do it at that time. 
as mm-hmm. the, as you might um as you might guess i wasn't that was not you know that's part of my 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 anger and my frustration this is not when i planned on doing it i was going to do that three years from now right. but um i call I, I made the call to him and um he said listen we're gonna we're doing michigan and illinois and champaign illinois I'd like you to come down and shadow us for the day and i got a ride i had a car for service take me down because i couldn't even drive i didn't know where i was half the time and hmm. and that was the start of it okay and then what i'm getting at is in these states it, it you got to take ownership at some point it starts there it starts with you um you got to get out of that toxic blender blender and then you know take advantage of the people that want to help you and there's yeah. a lot of people that are there to help you and there's resources to help you. And then you use those tools and that, that combination helped dig me out, you know, but it wasn't really, I, I didn't really have like complete peace for about five years, you know, and mm-hmm. keep in mind, I was working at ESPN at the time and uh, I was working with the Steelers and I was, I had started my life's work. Um, but it took about real five years to get, you know, peace and clarity of, mm-hmm. of my life's work and, and where I was and, and what I had just lost, you right. know, in a in a rude manner, you know, and a in an unlikely manner, because you know, most of the time, most players get cut. You know, they don't get to end on their terms, right. but it's usually not in the middle of a season, and mm-hmm. then you're left with these, you know, these wounds you think you can't recover from, and with the head trauma that I'd had, that combination of stuff just just elevated it, and. When I share these stories, I try to tell people, you know, you, listen, you, you can't be an expert in this field if you read it, saw it, or somebody told you about it. The only right. way you can be an ex- expert is you had to have lived it. You have to know what it's truly like to be empty, laying on a couch, and have no hope. Okay? You can't really? read that. You can't read that and understand that. I just, just it is impossible to really yeah. understand that. So, um you know, that's where I've, I've I've tried to help people. And sometimes that catches people off guards when, guard when I when I say, you know, this starts with you. You know, you, you yeah. just got to take ownership of where you are. If you want to keep sitting in that blender, pointing fingers and casting blame. And I know you're doing it. I did it. I know that's part of it. <laughs> that's yeah, how you get so yeah. dark is that you just, you don't take any ownership and realize, mm-hmm. which is a powerful thing is like really you're in charge okay so just think of the power that you have right now i'm just making this hypothetically you talk to somebody that's in my state or was in my state Mm -hmm. or even your state chucky Mm -hmm. and you're sitting there the power of pointing fingers casting blame making excuses the power of that what it's doing to you i mean it's it's powerful because it's destroying you so think about how powerful that is (laughs) right now we can just turn that blender off move it over here ignore stop doing that and now take ownership start creating a plan and architect a a way to dig ourselves out and move forward in a different path, even though it may be not the path we chose at that time, but it's been presented to us. Mm. And now we start digging and paving a road, you know, one day at a time, one thing at a time. And then you start to get yourself out of there. You know, when you, when you do that, you know, and I've had to do it a couple of times because see, you know, my career at ESPN ends 21 years later, in an abrupt manner right. and it was less tragic then than, and it came out of the blue too. I mean, I never saw that coming. Um, mm-hmm. But now 21 years later, it does happen in an 
and I was, I had already experienced it one way. I think mm -hmm. for maybe one or two hours, I realized my life had just changed in it, but it, because I'd already orchestrated one shift mm -hmm. and had to redirect myself. Um, I was much better at the second time, you know, yeah. I had tools that I had applied. So um, having lived it, I could, I have, you know, try to help people with ways to help them get themselves out of that that disaster and that there is hope and happiness and joy and peace and personal success and other avenues other mm -hmm. life and from a, a player perspective i'm like hey listen you've already used the greatest tool known to mankind to help you get to the highest level right don't surrender that's it Go that's get, it so you, you already have evidence so don't give me yeah. don't tell me you don't got it you already got evidence already you played it you've already done it at the highest level okay some six million kids started doing this only about 1900 play it and you were mm -hmm. one of them. Yeah. That, 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 that's pretty elite, bro. So uh, you have something that is pretty special. Let's use that. Absolutely. I mean, that's the big thing is, you know, when I think about some of the things that I dealt with after football and believing that it was all just physical trauma from playing, you know, the, the most physical game that I could think of. And, you know, it's really when I started to work with a coach that I started to, you know, get that clarity after I had been, you know, laying in the basement, feeling sorry for myself for so long. One of the big things that my coach, now my coach, he's from Hawaii. I love this guy. Now my coach, when I first came to him and was telling him about my problems, he was like, well, you realize that not all learning comes from your school. And I said, what do you mean? He said, what you think you know isn't all that there is to know. Maybe it's just time to learn something new, or perhaps maybe you already learned it. Now, you said you played in the NFL eight years. I said, yeah. He said, playing in the NFL is a unique experience with a lot of unique wisdom, a lot of unique learnings that you already have. And when you think about it, this problem you're having in life after the NFL, perhaps the solution you need to regain control of your life, you already learned playing football. And so when you talk about what, you know, the chief came in and talked about Art Rooney, how he didn't even mention football. Or when coach Chuck Noll talked about football is not your life's work. Those were the learnings that, you know, I'm presupposing, you know, later in life when you were done after the Bears, and you know, going through that five-year period, I imagine those things came back to mind. And it started to make a lot more sense. And so it goes right to what you're saying, how when I think about the NFL guys on TV, we were those guys on TV that everybody else looked at like superheroes. And so it took that superhero power just to get onto that television, just to get into that league. And so that's something that since, you know, we're more than just football players, guys got to recognize nobody can take away whatever it is that you had that got you to that level no one can ever take that away from you, except True. you. When you start to True. tell that story, when you get into that blender and you start telling the story that, you know, it's what I call limiting beliefs, greatest hits. When people, it's like a vinyl record to spin around in your mind when you're telling stories about yourself that sound like, I can't, I'm not, I just don't want. Now, going back to when we were playing high school football or college football, if I, I don't bet, but if I was a betting man, I would bet that there's no player who had that soundtrack going. 
I can't and I'm not. Or you would have never made it to the NFL in the first place. So whatever change you're looking to make, positive changes in your life, football's taught us exactly what we need to know, especially the coaches and leaders that we worked with. So when you talk about, you know, going through some some uh, head trauma and whatnot, now you published two books, Brainwashed, yep. which talks about the narrative around, you know, CT and brain health after football. But I want to dive deeper into that saying on your hat, your latest book, Find a Way, the three words that changed your life. So talk to me about those three words, find a way, and how they played into your success in the NFL and how you found a way to navigate those different obstacles you faced after your football days were over. Well, I, I, I said it initially, um, and I'll, I'll repeat it just because it's so important. The, those words helped me live a dream, and that's how it started, okay? Um, they ended up helping me live a dream. Uh, I mean, fight to live later when I was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, I had to go through open-heart surgery. And even the, the struggles that I went through from just the recovery from the head trauma, um, mm -hmm. those words I'll go back to were just supposed to help me live a dream, okay? Mm -hmm. So and they, they started as a kid. So um, this is one thing I th I, that I think is a – I shouldn't say think – is one of the most powerful tools we can do, and everybody should um, should do it if you want to do, or at least try it, because it is proven. Like visuals are a powerful tool to help us control our mind versus mm -hmm. our mind controlling us. They're mm -hmm. they're one of the greatest thing, tools you can do from a visual, from a perspective of control your mind, where you're trying to go, what you're trying to be, what you're trying to change, what you're trying to deal with. And when I was a kid, I, uh, I had, I used to go to bed at night um, and fall asleep thinking about the one thing I had never seen in a bedroom, but I would want in my bedroom if I'd had a bedroom by my, my own bedroom. And that's a wall of cork. And mm. the reason for that is so I could pin up my goals and right. I could visually see it when I walked in my room. Cause I heard a teacher one day say, Hey, uh, you know, one of the best things you could ever do. Uh, write your goals down and put them in your bedroom because it's where you start and end your day. Like I never forgot that. I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. But I'll have a bedroom by myself and everything I put up, my brother tears down. So <laughs> that doesn't work for me. Right. Um, but one um, one night my dad announces that we're going to, this concrete basement that we had used to be our playground in the wintertime was going to be converted mm -hmm. to two bedrooms, a family room and an office space. One of those bedrooms is going to be mine. So I asked him, you can make me a wall of cork in my bedroom. And he asked why. Well, I explained. And he's like, we'll see what we can do. Um, but I have some time on my hands. Um, he didn't promise me, but I envisioned I was going to get it. Um, and I, I actually do. It's not exactly what I had envisioned. It ends up being a half of a wall, but man, it was big enough. Mm -hmm. And I had written down all my goals. And so I put my goals. As soon as the room gets done, I walk in. And um, shoot, I had junior high, high school, and college to attend. So I made... I made goals for those steps too. And there was this step. There was my junior high goal, my high school goal, my college goal. And then at the very top was going to be, I will play in the NFL. And my favorite right. player was Walter Payton. So I cut a picture of him out. My favorite team actually as a kid was the Steelers. So I cut a picture of them out. Right. And it's kind of my first, first moment of truth. A lot of things happened for me on this day at that moment. Um, so many, it's hard to share in this one second, but I'll, I'll get to the most important aspect, what it, what it did for me on that day. When I pinned that goal up, I was playing in the NFL, and I started looking at it. I called a moment of truth in life. I'm looking at it, 
and I'm revisiting all the things that had ever been said to me when people go, hey, what are you going to do when you grow up? I go, I'm going to play in the National Football League. Oh, you know how hard that is? Do you know what the odds you playing in the NFL are, Maryland? Oh, son, don't put all your eggs in a basket. We wouldn't want you to be disappointed, or it was impossible. Right. And it's probably why I see things through a child's eyes more than most adults, because the people who are supposed to encourage me were the first ones to discourage me. Right. But but it, it speaks to my first experience at resiliency. Um, mm-hmm. Even though I'd, that's all I'd ever heard. I, I, I never heard one time, oh, my gosh, you, you can do that. Mm-hmm. You're, you can do that. You know, if you do this, this, you're going to do that. I've never heard that. Um, mm-hmm. But when I'm sitting and looking at that goal, I'm thinking about all those things. And this moment of truth, and I call it a moment of truth where I really felt, the first time I ever self-reflected, and mm-hmm. I opened myself up, and I tell people self-reflection is about, is about you. Okay, it's about opening yourself up. And um, it's about making a commitment, challenging yourself. And mm-hmm. I'm going through all these different emotions. I'm like, for a moment, I will play in National Football League. It's nothing more than words on a wall. Right. But I'm like, no, I, I didn't put that up there. I didn't put it up there to be words on a wall. I want to play in the National Football League. And I, on that day, I make a commitment. In the process of that, making that commitment, these words find a way pop into my head. You mm-hmm. know, like, even though I didn't know what I was going to do or how I was going to do it, man, they just, those words, like they moved me. And so I got down, had extra cards. So I wrote down the words find a way. And I put that on top of the wall with those goals. So here's what it did for me on that day. The, the thing that inspired on that day is me to do something about my circumstance, take action. Just like laying on a couch in that awful blender. Eventually mm-hmm. it came back to me. Got to do something, Merrill. Got to do something. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, but you got to do something. Just like that day. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know what I need to do, but I'm going to do something. I'm going to find out something. Um, and Walter Payton was actually my favorite player. So I started my search with him. Uh, what does he do? I heard about all of these dirt hills he ran, but is there more he's doing? Is there things I can incorporate? So I started doing more research on what are players who are playing in the NFL doing? How are they doing it? How they get there? What are the things they did? that I could apply to my life. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's what these words did. Um, when I got diagnosed with cancer, um, I've already saw, talked about being dark. Mm-hmm. This was dark and empty from all I could think about is chemotherapy and dying. And I go back to my daughter, I'd already mentioned my daughter, my daughter's now nine and she's the mm-hmm. one who really changes my thought process and challenges me to find a way because find a way has become a parenting tool. You know, right. I say all this in between. It's been a parenting tool. Like my kids walk into my office. And they're like, well, dad, I, you know, I got this. I go, oh, well, let's, okay, well, let's find a way. Okay. And then I try to get them to take ownership on mm-hmm. if it's your goal, if it's your dream, what do you think you need to do to do it? I like to, I've always loved that from a kid perspective because they come up with stuff I never would have. And what I discovered too, is if people come up with a plan, they're more than likely to stick with it versus me give them a plan. Right. You know, if they can be a part of the plan, they're like, oh, here's what I could do. Here's what I should do. Man, let's build on that. That's right. always from a parenting aspect and a leadership aspect. Let's build on it because that's your plan. And I like mm-hmm. that plan. It's a good plan. Let's now let's build on that. So these words have done so much for me. They've, you know, they've literally on that day, they inspired action, but they did something more important. I mean, I don't want to say more important because every one of them are important. But on that day, I knew how to control my mind. 
I knew how to control my mind. I knew the, how important visuals were. Mm-hmm. And then I also understood about how important self-reflection is when you challenge yourself um, and you open yourself up and you take ownership of things because that's when things change, when you do mm-hmm. all of that. And when you say that, that doesn't mean it gets easy and it's going to be all right. I mean, it's just going to be uh, everything is going to work out OK. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you now have a shot for it to work out right. Mm-hmm. Wherever that work, that, that work takes you, whatever that action takes you, it's going to take you in a lot better space than you're at. Yeah. And you're going to have peace when you're done at the end of that journey because you did the one thing that's the greatest gift any person can give to themselves. You did your part. Absolutely. That's all That's all you can ask yourself. Do you do everything possible within the scope of understanding and information at that time? And wherever that leads you, have peace with that. Yeah. But it's gonna it's gonna take you, and and so many times I've been on a journey, and I discovered something I never would have discovered had I not been on the journey. Right. I didn't reach the goal, but gosh dang it, had I not been on the goal, reached on the journey for the goal, I would never come across that. Yeah, so, absolutely. You know, you know, I really I really love that. I love that story about the 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 cork wall, and you know, really connecting to the importance of having visuals because I can relate to that on a personal level. When I was in high school, you know, I, I went to uh, a boarding school and, you know, where you're away from homes, just you have, you know, there's no parents, just you and your roommate with like, like our little bachelor pad. My senior year, I made the decision to only have one decoration on the wall. And that was actually a poster of Rod Woodson, who was my favorite player mm-hmm. on the Steelers at that time, one of your team. Wow. So yeah. I remember it said, said lightning rod and it was just, a, you know, opposite my desk. And I could see it every day. And in my mind, I would always look at him and be like, that's that's what I want to do. Now, I play offensive line. He plays defensive back. It's like polar opposites. But I didn't want to play like him. I just wanted to be great like him. Mm. And so that was always my focus. Through high school, I wasn't highly recruited. And it's funny how when you focus on where you want to go, you tend to find a way or discover a way along your journey. Or like, uh, I believe it was Bob, Bob Proctor said, if you don't know where you're going, you'll probably end up somewhere else. And it's really interesting that the one scholarship offer I got coming out of high school was to Purdue University, which is where Rod went to school. Rod played, yeah. And then I got drafted by the Steelers, just like Rod. And so it's interesting when, you know, the power of the mind, when you get that image of what you want to be doing, have going forward. It's funny how the the mantra I came up with back in college is the mind commands, the body obeys. When you get that picture in your mind, all of your unconscious actions, all your emotions, all your focus tend to be in line with that visual. And before you know it, we learn, especially as professional athletes, professional football players, the people that make it to that superhero level, we are the dreamers of dreams. We're the ones that were able to take that picture off the wall and bring it into our real life. And with that ability, after football, even if you're feeling like you're in that dark place, you gotta remember what you did because that may be the seed of what you're gonna do next. Use that same Agreed. strategy in life now. Use that same mm-hmm. strategy. I don't care if you're 30 years old, 40 years old, 50 years old. 
you have the power to bring dreams to life. And that's what it means to have played in this in this NFL, to play professional sports at this level. And so, you know, think you talked about that second transition. And so like after 20 plus years as a football analyst and TV personality for ESPN, I mean, you're writing books, you're speaking. I know for me, I did a lot of different jobs, had a lot of different personas after football until I found a path that was right for me. So now we're here, it's 2023, going to 24. And I'm curious, you know, where you're at now, like, what would you say is your greater purpose now? And how does your experiences playing football play into this new role in this new path for Merrill Hodge? Well, I, I've already mentioned that, you know, um, I've oftentimes had a goal. I'm heading for that goal. And then um, I get diverted. <laughs> I, I mm-hmm. discovered something on the journey that I have never discovered. I have not been on the journey. Mm-hmm. So, listen, I fell into broadcasting by doing my life's work, like Chuck Knoll said. Chuck Knoll said, mm-hmm. so every offseason, I try to do something in the offseason to explore. Like he said, he goes, you're going to have a platform that nobody else gets. He says, use it, don't abuse it. And it, and part of and partly what his discussion was too, when people give you an opportunity, they're going to give you an opportunity a lot of people won't get. Right. Don't abuse it. You know, use that, explore it, be respectful of it, and you have a part, uh, you, do your part towards, you know, that relationship. Mm-hmm. And actually, um, that's how I stumbled into broadcasting. I had, I was one of the first players, maybe the first player actually ever to do a, a TV, a radio show. Think about mm-hmm. this in the 70s, not only did radio shows, you know, not, none of that existed back in the 70s and, mm-hmm. and then in the early 80s. And so when I got drafted in 87, um, uh, a station you might remember called B94. Oh, I know okay, B94. So, yeah. So B94, I was doing an autograph session and, and a remote, and they asked me if I would do a call in on Friday after practice to talk about the upcoming game. So I tell the PR department and they're like, oh boy, you know, well, he goes, yeah, it's Dan Edwards and Pat Hanlon, two of the greatest in NFL history. Right. Um, they said, well, why don't you come in our office and do it so we can hear you? You know, so, you know, I, you know, I guess, right. <laughs> you don't say something stupid or something. Right, right. It becomes, becomes really popular. Mm-hmm. So in the off season, I'm doing a similar thing. Only DVE now is at this remote that I'm with. I'm there on right. remote where I'm at. And right. they asked me, they asked me how much B94 was paying me to do that. Hmm. And I, uh, I'm dumb, not stupid. I, uh, I sat and I sat and thought long enough about it because they weren't paying me anything. By right. The way, right. 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 And so, you know, so when they asked me, I'm like, oh man, how do I answer that one? And they go, what if we put a contract together for 10,000? Would you be interested in doing a, a show with us? Mm. Well, I'm like, of course, it's 10,000 more than I'm getting over there. <laughs> I don't have a contract right. with them. I was just doing it to do it. And so part of their contract, though, there was one stipulation. Mm-hmm. I had to go into the studio and they adore on Monday mm-hmm. after games on Sunday. Right. The last thing any player wants to do <laughs> is go to a radio show and go in the station. And I had to be there by seven o'clock because I had to get, I'd be done get from there down to the stadium and our first meeting was at eight. So now I got to get up even an hour earlier. And as a running back, uh, (laughs) (laughs) after a Sunday, that's not like, you'll just hop out of bed and sprint. Anyway. And I remember thinking, man, I don't want to do it. 
that's just not, I mean, that is not me. I mean, I mean, I, it's not, not me. I'm like, I just, that's too much. Right. And then I start thinking about what Chuck said, you know, use this, you know, use this stage. Don't abuse it. They're mm-hmm. giving me an opportunity and I'm like, gosh, dang it. Yeah, I better do it. You know, that's just, nobody's getting this opportunity. It's never been done before. So I'm like, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. So the first time I ever walked into the studio, I'd never been into a studio. I'd never seen a studio. I didn't know what to expect to walk into the studio. Right. They opened the door and I walked in. They just went to commercial break. And Chucky, like something grabbed me, like something just took over me. And then like, and that, that I'm like, I know what I want to do. Right. This is what I want to do. You know, I'm in my second or third year. And so I worked on that. Like every producer crew that came in, when I went to Chicago, part of my Chicago deal was I did a CBS pre and post game show. I did a two hour um, radio show at Walter Payton's restaurant on a Monday night game. Well, I mean, I just, I mean, so that became it. So I stumbled across my life's work. Right. You know, accidentally, but from counsel that I had some wisdom that I had heard, at least I was smart enough to listen to right. and obey it. And it led me to broadcasting, you know, mm-hmm. and, and those, so that's why, um, you know, part of that works. So um, how I got into speaking was sitting in a chemotherapy chair. Um, mm-hmm. And a friend is asking me about, you know, I, I started telling about that cork wall that we just, we talked about as a kid. And, right how those words meant so much to me. And he'd known me for like 15 years. And he's like, I never heard that story. Man. He goes, he goes, man, I'm going to tell you this. You need to write a, you need to write a book on that. That's a powerful thing. And he was videoing the whole day of chemotherapy because I was in there for about 12 hours. Right. And you know, I'm in my like six month, six treatment. I have, I'm, I'm beat down. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm just beat. And then I just really turned to him. I, I said, Charlie, listen, if I survive, I'm going to write your book. I write your book. And I, I just meant, meant it like that just to shut him up, to move on. I was just trying to survive. I mean, I was just, right. I was on, I was on survivor mode. And a year later he called me up. He said, Hey, you remember that promise you made me? And I'm like, Oh man, that book. I was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he held my feet to the fire and he's like, now that takes me another five years just to find a way to like write the book. But in the right. process, what that did for me is somebody asked me to come speak and share the message. And I, I end up doing that. Then mm-hmm. I get asked to do it again. And then an agency came to me and asked me if I would be interested in them representing me. And so, like, all of this comes about really at, like, one of the other darkest moments of my life. You know, I get challenged. Mm-hmm. Um, I then get re-challenged. I, I then live up to that challenge. I do write the book and then it takes me into speaking. And so to answer your question, I never, and I start liking it more and more. And what I like about it, I'm a product of a lot of people, people who challenge me, people who have inspired me. I find hope in people. And I like to share a message of hope and empowerment because when I speak, I get to a certain point. I don't share this message with, with people because I read it, I saw it, or somebody told me about it. I share it because I have lived it. Right. But that is the main reason I get to share it. I love to share it because I know what is possible for you. I know what's yeah. possible for everybody when I'm speaking in the sound of their voice, when they use this, the greatest tool known to mankind. 
You know, you use visuals, you do mm -hmm. self-reflection, you take ownership, you be, you build a life of resiliency versus a life of regret. That is all within your control and your power. And when you harness mm -hmm. that and you take you take charge of that, man, mm -hmm. and you don't let anybody take you just meant, you mentioned it a while ago. You don't let anybody take that from you. Powerful things happen for you. Yeah, you absolutely. can do whatever you set your mind to. And I use Walter Payton. Walter Payton taught me a lot. The one most powerful thing I've ever learned about Walter Payton is his relentless commitment of every day. And that, that's a choice. That's a habit. That's an attitude that everybody can apply. That's what I found to be powerful about it. Everybody can use that. Right. You know, it's, it's, see, wanting it's the easy part. Everybody goes, oh, I want that. I want that. I want that. Easy. Are you willing to do it every day? Are you willing to do the hard work? Are you willing to beat, try to go out and beat those odds? Are you really, are you willing to do it on the rough and tough days? Right. That, that, okay. And that's a mindset and a choice. Now keep in mind, you can make yeah. that choice. Okay? That is totally up to you. And that's what you have to have in order to plow through those tough days to make the road smoother. And when you start well, developing that, well, then it actually, it does become easier. Yeah, those tough days, you know, initially are hard. But, man, when you learn how to do that, you learn the value in it. Man, the next time that hard day comes or that tough road comes, you plow through it. Yeah. And then you find value in that. And then, you know, the strength of you starts to show. Right. Absolutely. Think about when you talk about the tough days. This is what my coach from Hawaii was talking about. Think about being in Latrobe. It's 100 yeah. degrees, you know. You think about. You know, those, you know, if you're a baseball player and, you know, pitchers and catchers having to play in, in February, knowing you're going all the way till November. And so we as professional athletes, we've already developed that. And so a lot of times it's really just reconnecting with those experiences and giving yourself credit for overcoming those difficult moments, getting the job done, finding a way when things were difficult. And now, yeah. and this, no matter how old you are, after you finish playing pro sports, after you finish playing professional football, remember how you found a way to get through the tough days and get the job done. You know, and that's really what it comes down to is, is that's why we're having these conversations is guys, not just on the Steelers, but on every team in the NFL, every team in every football league, every college you know, women's basketball, you know, hockey players, we all go through these difficult times and these dark places, especially after 20, 30 years of playing the sport. So now here's the moment that we've all been waiting for. This is the big question. See, my motivation for this podcast in my coaching practice, how I help, you know, former players in this next chapter after prosports.com, my goal is to help NFL veterans to fully heal after a lifetime of football, heal from top to bottom, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically. Mm -hmm. So with all the success and the positivity that you're experiencing in life, after your career after football, now that you've found your path, what I really want to know is, what advice would you give to the young man or woman who's struggling mentally and emotionally after a lifetime of identifying as an athlete? Well, this, this guy, to me, this is what you do and have to do many times in your life. And I, when I, I mentioned the, the word self-reflection, the reason I do that is because self-reflection is about you. 
Okay, you, you're the only one that can tell the truth. You know the truth. You feel the truth. And you're the one that's going to have to live the truth. And if you open yourself up and challenge yourself, you know, ask questions like, okay, I, are you doing everything you could possibly do? Not only, and then there's different questions when you're self-reflecting depending on where you're going. You know, if you're struggling on um, where you're going to go next or what you're going to do next, you know, taking that, that moment of peace is when you can go down your own memory lane of the things that you love, the things that you want to do, the things that move you. Find those things in your life and then apply some type of a plan to explore them. Doesn't mean you have to do them, but like do something that I, you know, I've done this with people at ESPN when ESPN started making all those cuts, people that never thought they would ever be let go of ESPN. And this is before, you know, I, I, they, uh, I was on a wave of people that got let go. And this is friends of mine before that. And as I met with them, I was like, you know, I told them, actually, I go, if they ever let me go, which, listen, I, I was somewhat, even though I was on, it was a shock for me initially. Mm -hmm. A shock only lasted for a couple hours. Right. Because um, I had had another plan. So, like, speaking, I was like, you know, if I ever do, like, I turn down more speaking than I do because my schedule at ESPN is just so crazy. I would love to devote myself to that. I go, so search for things that you love, you know, that you like doing. Um, mm -hmm. And it doesn't even have, and if that, you can't come up with anything there, we'll pick something that sounds interesting to you. Explore it a little bit. Um, go on a journey with it. Um, doing something about your circumstance. I say that uh, a lot when when I speak, um, does enormous value for you. You might, on the journey, we've already talked about this a couple of different times, how, wow, I never would have discovered that had I not went here. Right. That might happen too. You know, you might be just exploring just enough to come across something you just didn't see coming and find yeah. value in it. You know, take inventory of what you do love doing and what you mm. would like to be. Um, and think mm -hmm. outside the box. And if you can't come up with something, then just pick something, you know, and do something about that. And you'll learn to learn about something. And here's what you'll learn. You're like, I definitely don't want to do that. I now know <laughs> that, that I don't want to do right. that. Right. Or you might just say, wow, now that, there's, that that's interesting. Or I discovered something that mm -hmm. I wouldn't have. And that's why I say do something about your circumstance. So mm -hmm. that gives you some some ideas doesn't mean because by, sometimes I get people go, well, I don't know. This is what I love. This is all I've ever done. I go, I get that. Then, mm -hmm. then just try to select something. I, my, my dad was an insurance agent. Okay. When I started doing this, when Chuck Noll initially started doing this, so I said, I selected something all the time to try to explore. And my dad showed insurance. So I was like, I'll do insurance. Let me, um, I had some insurance relationships, met with this guy. I, um, I'm trying to think of, uh, oh, God, I can see the place where we met. Um, I don't know if they're around anymore. It's um, not Eaton Park. Well, maybe it was Eaton Park. I, I can't remember. <laughs> anyway, we it was a similar place. It was a kind of place like that called Eaton Park. I met him at Eaton Park. Mm -hmm. And he walks in, and he, he has all these books, and he sits them down in front of me. Actually, my best friend was sitting there with me, and he's like, okay, here's your future. Okay. Well, the second he sat those books down and said, here's your future, <laughs> No. That wasn't my future. I wasn't going <laughs> right. to read those books. I wasn't going to, that was not, I, but I, that's, I've never regretted. I've never thought twice about trying to go down insurance again. 
I took them. I looked at them. I'm like, this ain't me. But right. I had 100% certainty that wasn't me now. I right. didn't need to explore anymore. It doesn't mean you got to know. You're, you're like, oh, that's what I'm going to do forever. You don't, you don't have to pick something that you know that's exactly where you're going to go. Sometimes you pick something just to see if you just to see if you really want, are interested in it. And so often, sometimes it's a confirmation. I know I don't want to do that. I'll never think about that again. So, yeah. you know, doing those things have helped me um, and how I have learned and, and discovered things that shoot, I never would have, you know, and I think anybody who watches this or hears this, that would be fair enough to know this. They will not be disappointed. If you're going to do nothing to help yourself, don't be disappointed in the results. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, just, and anybody that's, you know, disappointed because they did nothing. And there's, and, right. You know, yeah. you got to do something. And and so those things have helped me. I've learned a lot of things I'll never, I know for sure I don't want to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad I explored some things because it took me places I never dreamt I'd go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, we exploring those things. You know, even if you're not sure if, if this is what you're going to do the rest of your life, you might find some aspect of that business that you do like, but there may be some things that don't really work for me. But I want to I know this aspect, whatever I am going to do, I want to have some of this in this next thing. So there's always learnings to be to be preserved from all experiences, playing football and even as you're exploring what to do next. So, you know, it's it's really it's really been a true pleasure and honor, you know, having this discussion. And, you know, my, my biggest hope is that the example that you set for all of us as NFL players, all of us as NFL alumni, is something that somebody who's sitting there on the couch, you know, that's grieving the loss of their identity as a football player and, you know, maybe feeling lost or confused as to what they're going to do next. You know, my hope is that they'll watch this and get off that couch and find a way. If if they get nothing else out of this, maybe it will lead them to at least get up and start that search to find a way. So I just want to say thank you, you know, or as my as my coach would say in Hawaiian, mahalo, which means I'm grateful. <laughs> and I'm 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 just really, really happy that I got to spend this time, that we got to connect. And I've learned a lot too. If you if you can overcome, you know, all of these abrupt endings, uh, dealing with the the physical trauma, the open heart surgery, cancer, for guys who just got cut and are still pissed off at their agent or their coach, I hope you listen to what Merrill's talking about here, and the light bulb goes off and you realize I made it to the NFL. I could do anything. So, anybody who's interested in learning more, make sure you check out the website afterprosports.com for more episodes, just like with Merrill Hodge. And to learn more about the basic instructions of life after pro sports. Merrill, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to connecting again soon. Absolutely, Chuck. Thanks for doing this for people. It's going to help a lot of players, Chuck. I appreciate it, pal. All right. Aloha. See you, pal. Thank you for listening to the basic instructions of mind mastery with your host, Chuki Okobi. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates, and we'll see you on the next episode.